showcasing beloved favorites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. From Ramsgate in Kent, England, I am your host, Jason Drury, welcoming you to a second special episode of the Cinematic Sound Radio Network's Archive Show, dedicated to recent releases from Quartet Records. As always, it's hello to listeners at cinematicsound.net and through all great podcasts who currently stream this show. It's great to have you join us once again. And if you're listening to this show through Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, wherever, please take the time to rate and review the show. It really helps get the show noticed and introduces new listeners to find the programme. We also have a merchandise store from Public, and now recently we also have a Patreon. Please go to patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio where you can support the station for as low as amount as $1. If you invest more, you can obtain some very interesting and exciting rewards. Now, as I've said, this is the second special archive show showcasing four recent new releases from the Spanish-based record label Quartet Records. With me today, as before, is mastering engineer extraordinaire Chris Ballone. Hello there, Chris. Hello, Jason. It's lovely to join you again and to talk about another batch of Quartet releases. It's like we're in the same room. Well, that's a fib. I'm in Ramsgate, England, and Chris is somewhere in Australia. And I have the ability of editing my material, because this bit was done a month after we talked, but nobody's going to know. Will they? We have decided on this occasion, and then hopefully for the rest of the shows we do together, we're going to discuss the releases and not just have a clip of Chris talking about them until we actually listen to the music itself. This is, of course, the first time we've actually done this, so if it all goes wrong, blame me. So... So let's kick off then with the first of today's offerings, and it's a really top quality release from Quartet Records, as is all of them really. But it's special to me as it's one of the great scores from one of my all-time favourite composers. It's a re-release of The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes from 1970, written and produced by Billy Wilder, with a screenplay by I.A.L. Diamond and Billy Wilder. The film offers a reflectionate and slightly parodied look at Sherlock Holmes and draws a distinction between the real Holmes and the character portrayed by Watson in his stories for the Strand magazine. The film stars Robert Stevens as Holmes, Colin Blakely as Dr. Watson and Christopher Lee as Mycroft Holmes. Now Chris, what is your opinion of this score and how did you go about remastering this new release? Well Jason, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, it's a score that holds a bit of a special place for me. And the reason is that I attended the uh, sessions for the 2007 recording with the City of Prague Philharmonic. And that was produced by James Fitzpatrick and conducted by Nick Rain for Tadlow Records. And I remember that vividly because it was a very snowy January in Prague. And so much so that Nick Rain's flight was delayed in because of the snow. And so the orchestra was without their usual conductor, Nick, for the first day of recording. But the other thing that I remember is the musicians. They, 
the Czech musicians, they kind of really took to this music, this beautiful score, and they performed it, I think, so wonderfully. And it was a thrill just sitting there on the Smecky Studios stage and, and listening to it in kind of real life hi-fi. And I found that some of the musicians were even kind of humming some pieces of the score in their tea breaks, which was kind of interesting. The second connection I have to the score is that the original performance was recorded by Eric Tomlinson, and he was someone who became a great friend and mentor of me. And I'd actually talked to Eric about it shortly before I'd left England for the Prague sessions. And it was kind of an offhand comment that I'd made in one of the several conversations that we'd had. And he instantly remembered that he'd recorded the score, the Royal Philharmonic, playing in the Anvil Studios of Denham, which is where later Star Wars, Superman, Alien, a lot of those famous scores were done. So this kind of brings us to what happened in 2013 with the quartet release. And it was a difficult one because what had happened in 1980 was that the lease on the Anvil stage had expired and a developer had come in and essentially demolished the site, um, electing to do something different with it. And there was little to no warning that this was actually going to take place. So a lot of precious vault materials that were still stored in the Denim studios there were unfortunately lost. And it's presumed that the scoring masters for The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes were amongst those. So in 2013, Quartet was able to put a release together by using the music part of the separate dialogue music and effects tracks. And these were the same tracks that ended up on a special edition Laserdisc from the 1990s. So unfortunately it was a mono recording and it had all the up and down volume changes to accommodate the scenes that were playing on screen as well as the edits that were done to suit the picture. So we then fast forward to the end of 2019, the early months of 2020, and Jose Benitez had asked whether I would like to participate in a, a brand new version of the, of the soundtrack that he was planning. And I think he had to wait basically zero seconds for me to say absolutely. So we once again checked inventories and regrettably nothing else had shown up in the intervening years. So we reworked the same element, the same dialogue, music and effects elements. And I think the verdict was that we were able to do something a bit better with the sound from last time, but listeners are able to judge that for themselves. But there's a nice piece of icing on the cake on this release, and that is we now have a two CD set where Jose was able to secure the rights to include the 1956 Josef Heifetz performance of Miklos Rose's Violin Concerto. Now, listeners may know that that was actually the basis of the score for The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. It was a, a concert work that Roger had written and Billy Wilder, the film's director, was that enamored with it that he wanted Roger to adapt it for the film, which he did. The second bonus treat here is the 1977 Fantasy Suite, and that was recorded by the composer for Polydor Records. And Jose was able to work his magic and secure the coup of including that on this set. So for this 50th anniversary edition, it's just past the 50th anniversary, we're able to 
hear the score remastered as well as these additional bonus pieces. And I think we're pretty much now closing the book of this wonderful, wonderful score and very interesting take on the Sherlock Holmes character. Yes, I'm a huge fan of the City of Prague recording for an archival recording, and it's good that the original score has come out again in its two-disc set, because I missed out on the first time it was released by Quartet. But I feel the wait has been justified, as I'm sure this recording is far better than the original one in 2013, due to your magnificent work as always. Even though the main score is in mono, it's still unbelievable in its sound quality and beauty when you listen to it. This now, to me, is the definitive release of that score, and any Miklos Rosha fan must not miss out on buying this release, because it is, as I said, absolutely superb. And all the elements of the score are there, because this is one of the, I think this is one of the only times that Miklos Rosha's double life actually merged with this violin concerto, an important part of this score. He always wanted to have his life as a concert work composer and a film composer separate and this is the only time I think the Astley came together and what a result. Yes, completely agree Jason. I think that literally that double life that he, he talks about in his autobiography, the idea of separating the concert hall from the film work, I mean there'll be a, a Rosa file that will no doubt probably correct us on this but I too do feel that this is the only time that he was essentially bridging those two parts of his life. And, yeah, what a phenomenal way to do it. To, to essentially take that fantasy um, suite that he, he distilled in 1977, you, you kind of, you're getting this sense that that was based on what he did in 1970 for the film, but that in itself was based on what he did in 1956. And he's writing about the, the fictional character who lived a century earlier. So it's just, it's, it's an amazing kind of almost back to the future type exercise to try and get your head around how all this fits together. But it works so wonderfully that it doesn't really matter. So now, just a few months beyond the 50th anniversary of the private life of Sherlock Holmes, we celebrate with the wonderful music of Miklos Rosa and a new two CD edition from Quartet Records.
That was music in wonderful mono from the 1970 film The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, original score composed and conducted by Miklos Rocha and remastered by Chris Malone. The original soundtrack recording is available, like all the records on today's show, from Protect Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Well, next recent new release from Quartet Records we're going to talk about today is music from the 1980 horror film The Awakening, directed by Mike Newell and starring Charlton Heston, Susanna York and Stephanie Zimbalist. The film concerns an American archaeologist who is in Egypt with his pregnant wife searching for the tomb of a long-lost Egyptian queen. At the same moment, he discovers the tomb and opens its accursed seal. His wife gives birth to his daughter. He later transpires that the 11th spirit of the Egyptian queen left the tomb just when he was entering and possessed his baby girl. As the truth becomes clear, the archaeologist realises that he must destroy his daughter in a ceremonial ritual before she uses her awesome powers to threaten the safety of mankind. Now the composer of this film was Claude Bolling, who sadly passed away in December 2020. Chris, what are your opinions of this work and your recollections of remastering this very interesting and very important score? Thanks, Jason. Claude Bolling, yeah, I, I think he was well known for his jazz work more so than his film scores. Even though he wrote something like 100 film scores, he was part of that revival of the trad or the traditional jazz scene during the 1960s. So that's where he kind of sprang from. But yeah, this score certainly demonstrates his talent for handling film because once in a while, you, you kind of hear a score that tends to grab you from the, the opening get-go, the opening few bars. And for me, that was this score, The Awakening. And it came to me as a project because Jose wanted to re-release it to kind of acknowledge or celebrate the life of Claude Bolling, who had recently passed away, but to also address a few technical anomalies that had occurred on the earlier release. But for me, musically, it's a score that's got this, you know, rich and evocative atmosphere, and it has this prevailing Middle Eastern flavoring and seasoning that very much matches the subject matter. But it's, to me, it's not done in any sort of overpowering way. If anything, there's, it feels like there's a subtlety to it, and it's sort of cohesive and, and joined together in a way that, that kind of makes sense properly and allows Bolling to give us the romance and the mystery and the mysterious and the sinister all at the same time, which is fantastic. And I think it's a rich and rewarding listen overall because of that. And, and I've I got to say that for me, it's one of those scores that we're often kind of blind to because it's coming from a composer from continental Europe. And, you know, speaking just of myself here, I'm, I'm somebody who's 
very much been historically focused on American film and American film composers or British film and British film composers. But here we've got a French composer, but we're getting an English studio orchestra performing it and we're having it recorded at the famous CTS studios in Wembley, which were then known as the Music Centre with John Richards as the engineer. So it, it has this very much this sound of what we would expect from a, a 1980 kind of British production scored with English musicians performed at CTS. But we have this very evocative and interesting music weaving through the story. And to me, those aspects together make this particularly interesting. So here now is music from the 1980 British-made horror film The Awakening, original score composed by Claude Bolling.
That was music from the 1980 British horror film The Awakening, with original score composed by Claude Bolling. An orchestra conducted at CGS Studios Wembley by Marcus Dodds. And the original soundtrack recording, like all of the recordings on today's show, has been recently been released by Quartet Records. The home for beloved favourites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Next up is a very important score and also a very important archival release from Quartet Records. The film is entitled Falstaff, or if you prefer, Chimes at Midnight, the 1965 period comedy drama starring and directed by Orson Welles. The film's plot centres on William Shakespeare's recurring character Sir John Falstaff and the father-son relationship he has with Prince Hal, who must choose between loyalty to his father, King Henry IV, or Falstaff. Welles stated that the core of the film's story was the portrayal of friendship. Co-starring with Wales as Falstaff was Keith Baxter as Prince Hal, John Gilgood as Henry IV, Jan Moreau as Dole T Street, and Margaret Rutherford as Mistress Quickly. Now the film score is composed by Angelo Francisco Lavagnino, who had worked with Wales on a previous Shakespearean project, Othello. The score incidentally was recorded in an Italian studio, which paid Lavagnino for his work in return for the rights for his music and later released a soundtrack album in Italy and the UK. Now, Chris, what are your opinions on this very important and very, as I said, archival release? Well, it's an interesting film in the sense that it was, one of the producers was Harry Saltzman, who, of course, will be familiar to filmgoers for his co-production of a lot of the James Bond films certainly up to and including The Man with the Golden Gun. So there's that aspect. And also Orson Welles, having worked with Lavagnino in 1951 for Othello, the approach here is interesting in two respects. One is that the music feels in of the time of the setting in the film. So it's very much trying to evoke what somebody may have heard had they lived at that time that they you know, may have played or known of that era and so because of that it kind of has this medieval sound but also this almost source music type approach to it and it's kind of an approach that in some respects somebody like henry mancini often did in his 60s scores where you've got the the themes and the tunes and you're kind of unsure as to the crossover point where something is a source piece of music that is heard to essentially to the characters within the film to a piece of music that is meant to be a dramatic piece of underscore. And so I think the same is true of this in that we're hearing music that evokes the period but doesn't necessarily match exactly the types of actions and activities that are occurring on screen. And I think not only was that a conscious decision of Orson Welles and Lavagnino 
in composing the music, but it was also one of how some of those Italian composers worked and some of those films that were either Spanish productions or Italian productions, and this one being a partly a Spanish production, is that the music is almost written in in kind of isolation, I suppose, from having specific sync points and points that it's meant to exactly match within the film. And therefore, it allows the, the filmmaker the freedom of choice as to where they're going to set some of these pieces. So that's how I feel that that this music kind of came together, was one of writing it mostly away from the screen, writing it in an approach that felt at times more like kind of source music, as we would call it, and a medieval flavour that then for allowed Wells to kind of pick and choose what pieces he wanted and how he wanted them placed in the film. Now, unfortunately, the music is often laid in so quietly into the film that it's very hard to get a sense of what's actually trying to be communicated by the music. But you know, now we've got a chance to hear it all without being buried under dialogue and effects. Now, Wells reportedly asked his composer, Lavagnino, to do a score towards, quote, not Russia. Now, that in itself sounds like an insult to the musical Nicholas Russia, but thinking about it, it's nothing of the sort. It was asking him to do nothing grand, a huge orchestral sound like Russia would do, but to make the score, just like what Chris has said, authentic to the period it is portraying. This is achieved throughout the score, but there's a couple of battle sequences in the film where Lavagnino shows at least part of his orchestral skills by some very exciting battle music. It stands out on the soundtrack like a sore thumb in that respect. What's your opinions on that, Chris? Yeah, I think that's a astute observation and one that Frank DeWald in his liner notes, which he's done expertly again, very much addressed that idea of how the, the Rosia sound for something like this would have been bigger and bolder and, and much more, in a way, flashy, potentially, as we've heard on some of his other epics of the era. But what we're getting in this case is is almost a kind of a stripped-back approach that is at, at many times just, just smaller, as you've said, and then leaving the big pieces to be some of the battle cues were therefore in a way surprised by the bigness of them. And that contrast is is also important to have because we're not having anything be either small or big all the time and we're getting that, that contrast in in scale that would otherwise not be there. And now on Jason Drury's Quartet Record Spotlight, music from Falstaff by Italian composer Angelo Francesco Lavagnino.
about this music from the 1965 period comedy drama Falstaff, aka Chimes at Midnight. The original score composed by Angelo Francisco Lavagnino. The original soundtrack recording is being released on a new two CD set comprising of the original soundtrack album and the complete score, all remastered by Chris Malone, as with all the music on the show, by Quartet Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. And our final new release that we are going to feature on today's show from Quarto Records is a 1968 Italian crime film, Bandits in Rome, otherwise known as Rome Come Chicago, directed by Alberto Di Martino and starring Gabriel Fizzetti and John Cassavetes, a professional hold-up man with scruples as a young, ambitious partner who covets his wife and his life. When the hold-up man goes to prison, the partner cuts loose, leaving a trail of deaths behind him. Now, the music for this film was composed jointly by Ennio Morricone and Bruno Nicolai. Nicolai, known as the conductor of a lot of Morricone scores in the 1960s, and often acted at times as Morricone's orchestrator. Now, as I said, Chris, this is credited as a co-composing work by Morricone and Nicolai. And if you listen to the music, there's no way of differentiating who wrote which cue in the score. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting aspect because we know that Morricone's usual collaborator for conducting, especially in the 1960s, was Bruno Nicolai. And... Here for this film, they share a credit of composing. What we do know looking at the studio materials from Paramount on this is that every cue that did have original music composed for it is indeed listing both of those composers. So there's no distinction in terms of the legal aspect of this film as to who did what. And so we can only assume that they worked collaboratively in some form or fashion across the entire score. And what we're getting to hear here is a sort of a, a gentle 1960s love theme, kind of along the lines that we may expect. But we're getting also these anxious suspense cues and blaring brass action pieces that kind of have a machine gun-like snare drum providing a beat along to them. And they're kind of the, the interesting aspect of this score. Bandits in Rome is an oft-requested score from the Morricone catalogue, and it's great now that we're able to hear the work on Quartet Records making its world premiere. What is the story of this score's release coming to CD? Because it's been quite a while for it to arrive at this point to be released by Quartet Records. I think with some of these scores, there's a couple of different reasons. One is that with the maestro's unfortunate passing in more recent months, it's led to a bit of a, a reassessment of some of his works. And 
he had been known in some corners to be a bit reticent to release certain cues on albums or even certain scores themselves. And so this has presented a bit of an opportunity to do something perhaps a, a bit different and still try and respect his what his wishes would have been, but to highlight some scores that perhaps might not have otherwise received the, the light that they may have deserved. So that's one aspect that comes into play. Another aspect that comes into play is that we're working across multiple continents here being involved. We've got the Italian production of this film through Dino De Laurentiis having the source tapes, the actual music assets, and Paramount being the rights holders of the film in terms of its worldwide distribution. And so it was a case of those essential entities coming together to make this possible. So that's why for this particular score, you may notice on the, the back CD cover, we have English titles for the cue names, whereas what's been done certainly by quartet with more of the Morricone compositions is to use the Italian titles that he may have assigned or, or the studio assigned whilst they're produced in Italy. So in, in this case, we're, we're using English because Paramount is the, the rights holder of the music. Now, let's talk about the score for a moment, and particularly its sound. To me, this doesn't sound anything like a Morricone score. I know I'm not a, I know I'm not a, a full Morricone aficionado, but obviously I have a lot of respect and admiration for a lot of his music. But, but the, to me, the score has a, a sound more common with the music of Lalo Schifrin and his work for Dirty Harry than anything that Morricone, to me, is associated with. I, I did and also I didn't, insofar that I think there are aspects to this that are very unmistakably the, the way that Morricone would do things. N not so much perhaps the, the melodies or anything like that, but more how in that particular era he was extremely astute with his orchestrational choices. I always felt that his setting of his melodies and his harmonies for particular instruments was just something that really told us how thoughtful he was and how much energy he put into that orchestrational aspect. And I, I think a lot of that comes through that long-term collaboration he had with Bruno Nicolai as well, insofar that the two on scores like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly worked very closely together to achieve that sound that Morricone wanted. And I think in this case, if, if we listen to some of those action pieces in particular, they have a, a specific sound to them, which I think is, is very much down the street of what we might expect from Morricone when presented with this type of on-screen action. I, I think a, another aspect to probably talk about with this one is much like the way that Morricone often worked, he's composing music in many respects as a, a kind of an impression on the film rather than fitting specific scenes. And so the music that we had, if we put it in show order, if we put it in the, the film sequence, it ended up being 
quite repetitious and ended up being something that didn't quite, to my ears, make sort of sense as to how it really would best showcase the music. So what we did for this album, because it had never come out before on CD or vinyl, is that we created a sequence that was more reminiscent to kind of a side A and a side B of the of vinyl, which is what ended up on the vinyl. And on the CD, we've got kind of those two halves joined together. So the idea was to create something that was more of a listening experience rather than a, a pure kind of run everything in, in film order and, you know, kind of allow the listener to, to think whether or not that makes the best sense. Right then. So here now, let's listen to some music from the 1968 Italian crime film, Roma Come Chicago, a.k.a. Bandits in Rome, with original score composed by Bruno Nicolai and Ennio Morricone.
That was music from the 1968 Italian crime thriller Roma Come Chicago, aka Bandits in Rome. The original score composed by Bruno Nicolai and Ennio Morricone. The original soundtrack recording has recently been released, like all the music you've heard on today's show, and what wonderful music it's been, by Quartet Records. And with that, we've come to the end of this special edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, showcasing releases, once again, from Quartet Records. My sincere thanks to Chris Malone for joining us today, for sharing with us his thoughts on these wonderful releases. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for allowing me to join you on your journey today through these four different Quartet releases. It's a privilege to work on them and also a privilege to talk to you about them. So thank you very much. I leave you today with an extra piece of music. At the top of the show, we played music from Nicholas Ross's score from The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, which has been recently released by Quartet Records. The release, as we said, is a two-disc set, and disc two starts with a special arrangement of the music from The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. It is called The Fantasy Suite. I think Chris mentioned it earlier when we talked about the score. It was recorded in Abbey Road Studios in 1977 and was arranged by orchestrator Christopher Palmer on behest of Nicholas Rocha himself. Unlike the score we played earlier, it's been preserved in wonderful stereo. Rocha utilised more or less exactly the same ensemble of musicians that he recorded the original score to Sherlock Holmes seven years earlier in 1970. Rocha utilised the same orchestra ensemble, the Royal Philharmonic, and also the same soloist, Eric Grunberg. Ever since I received the recording from Quartet Records, I have played this piece multiple times, and every time I've been struck by its sheer beauty. And I feel... Because of that, it is a fitting way to end this second quartet special from the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. So, here is the Fantasy Suite based on the score to The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, with music composed and conducted by Nicholas Russia and performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. My thanks again for Chris Ballone for joining us today, and thank you very much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the music on today's show. And until we meet again, from me, Jason Drury, as always, it's take care, stay safe, and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sinsound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to Tee Public to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>